Hello and welcome to Bite Back Chats Books. This week we're welcoming a very special guest to the Bite Back studio, journalist and now author Seb Whale. He's been working in politics for more than five years, so what better person to pen a biography of the UK's most divisive speaker in a generation or more? Yes, we're talking John Burko, and here to talk some more about him is Seb himself. Welcome! Seb Well, welcome to the Bite Back Studios with our excellent view over Westminster. If you could start by giving us a bit of information about kind of who you are, your background, how you got to be writing this John Burko biography. Sure, so I started in journalism in February 2015, so five years ago. Actually, this week, five years ago, I started. I actually did a business degree at King's College, something completely different. I got into politics when I was at university, and I started writing about it, but I didn't do anything with those sort of blogs. Basically, no Mm. one wanted to hear me talk about politics, so I thought I'd write it down. And then I just found, when I was looking for work, that writing was a way of sort of filling my time and keeping my brain active, and then I decided to publish a few things and off the back of that some people were sort of fairly positive about what I wrote and I got offered an internship at the time at Politics Home but I also got offered a full-time job which was in the city and so I took the city job and then I couldn't stop thinking about that internship so after a year I then packed it in trained as a journalist and then my first job coincidentally was at the same place I'd offered an internship about three years earlier. Did you get in touch with them and be like so remember me? You know what no it just literally a a job advert came up saying we're hiring a reporter so it was a full-time role rather than an internship and the stars just aligned perfectly and I had a good pitch for why I should get the job and they thankfully gave me a chance and then been a journalist for five years. Cool and then so politics home what kind of reporting were you doing was it mostly like political but was it very much like House of Commons focused or was it kind of getting out into outside London and it was very much Westminster focused, so there was little, really, to be honest with you, in terms of getting out of London, other than to go to some events or interview people. Mm. But it was always focused on Westminster because Politics Home started out as an aggregator of like political news, and it is, as you know, the, the name sort of hints. It's it's the idea is that this is the one-stop shop for everything related to Westminster. So it was very much a good way of learning about how Westminster works. Because I'd be lying to you, I probably didn't have that greater understanding of it. So it was a great kind of breeding ground for many journalists, actually. People like Isabel Harmon, Matt Dathan at the Sun. Like, you know, there are lots of journalists who went on to be, you know, bigger and, and, and better things. But um, it's a fantastic place to start out as a journalist. And I was very lucky, really. Lots of people time talk about the Westminster bubble. Uh, did you find that it was a bit of a shock going into Westminster when you were reporting for the first time? Because I've heard people say it's like a different universe almost. Yeah, it's weird. I think you also completely lose sight of the fact that you're in a bubble. I remember, because I also I did one day a week on Total Politics, um, and that was more of a culture focused side of like the lighter side of politics quite a fun place to to work and um i remember i was going to interview caroline lucas the green mp and at the time she was green party leader or co-leader i can't remember anyway i went i remember going to a house party and saying you know people asking me about my job and what are you up to and i was like oh well this weekend i'm you know you know i'm gonna interview caroline lucas and they were like who and so sometimes yeah. you do sort of forget that you're involved in this world that actually people don't know that much about yeah so you kind of got into politics and then what was it that made you want to write about John Burke specifically? So the idea came from my editor at the House magazine, uh, Dan Bond. He texted me quite late on a Saturday. For some reason, uh, he was researching John Burke. I think, he was doing I, a, I think he was doing a podcast, to be fair. He wasn't just being weird. Um, and he said, you should write a biography about him. And I thought about it and I was at home. I was having a beer, I think, and it just seemed like a great idea. I don't know. It was just a penny dropped. Um, 
I've always been fascinated by John Burko and I went into it with no real preconceptions about his character but I just found him to be such a such an interesting figure and one that's been there throughout my time being mm. interested in politics um, he's been someone right at the centre of it and I just thought I did some research and the more you dig into him the more kind of appealing he is as a character to sort of study because he's full of sort of contradictions and he's got this crazy journey from the far right to the to the left um, he's got many enemies and many friends and, and you know he's as controversial as any politician I can possibly think of in the modern age mm. um, and so I, I didn't necessarily have he was always there throughout my time being interested in politics I would write about him but it was only when I, I really sort of looked into his his backstory that I thought he's a character who would just be so interesting to study. And every day that I've done it has just been mind blowing. Really, I just you know so I've enjoyed it so much. I don't know if it's kind of what every biographer thinks that that the person that they're writing about is the most interesting person, or you know has an incredible life story. But I generally believe that he he does, and so it's been an absolute pleasure to to study him. What's been some of the most interesting stuff that you found out from writing the biography? I mean, there's, there's lots of things. His life is intertwined with some of the most important people in modern-day British mm. politics and some of the most important times. So, you know, when he was uh, in student politics, conservative student politics, at the same time, people like Nick Robinson was in conservative student politics, people like Robbie Gibb, a guy called Douglas Smith, who's now in number 10, uh, Boris Johnson's number 10. Lots of people who are now big fixtures in terms mm. of you know, names that we know and associate with British politics. And he's also, you know, he was speaker at a time of arguably the most interesting period in living memory, mm. obviously with Brexit. And then, the, you know, the coalition years was also fascinating. And he's just, you know, so when you hopefully when you read the book, you get a sense that this guy has really kind of been right in the thick of many of these recent fascinating periods of, of British politics. What's your view on uh, Burke and Brexit? I know that's really divisive subject for quite a lot of people yeah so my my view is this I think um, he was thrown a hospital pass by various things one of the which was the fixed terms parliament act which meant that even though the government wanted to call an election it actually couldn't and we had this ridiculous situation where parliament just couldn't do anything Mm. and I think he did his level best to facilitate the house and it wasn't his fault that MPs were very well versed in what they were against but had no idea what they were for. And so we had that ridiculous impasse that lasted 12 months, 18 months. But having said that, he doesn't help himself. That's the thing with John Burko. When he when he comes out and says uh, Brexit is the biggest mistake in the UK's post-war history, you can't help think, well, probably that decision you made on this, that and the other was yeah. actually biased. So if he just wound his neck in a little bit, which might sound an odd thing to say, but if he just literally just kept his views to himself if he hadn't revealed that he voted to remain, then mm. I don't think people would be as animated as they are now. But, yeah. you know, when you defend him, it's very difficult to when he does his level best to undermine that defence, really. Yeah, he's definitely a character in British politics, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, have you ever met him? I haven't properly met him, no. I mean, I've been in touch via other people doing this book. He very much didn't want to take part, but he, what he didn't do, which was great, was shut off anybody from speaking to me. So I spoke sure. to a number of close friends um, who had gone to him first to see if they'd be willing to speak to me. And that was and that was great. He never, ever blocked them. And it's really important that he did that. And he, he obviously, you know, he's a smart guy. And he realised that if you block off the people who are willing to sort of defend you or, or yeah. you know, extol your virtues, then you're only going to be left with 
the other half of the uh, of the ledger. So I don't know him personally particularly, but um, I feel like I've got, I've got <laughs> I to know, know him pretty well <laughs> over the past six months. What was like the information gathering process like for the book? Because it is basically going was going to all of his close friends and asking them, what do you think about Burke? What do you think about like all of these controversial things that he's done? Yes, I mean, it, so basically, because there was a tight turnaround, I was commissioned in August last year, um, and I handed in my first draft at the end of November. So it was a very, very tight turnaround. But I interviewed nearly 150 people. I think it might be about 150. Mm. And I had this research tool available to me, which um, had access to newspaper cuttings going back about 40 years. And he had imprint from about 1980. Four, I want to say was his first That's cutting which impressive. was in the Guardian so trawled through hours and hours and hours of newspaper cuttings uh, and obviously because he's a very famous guy anyway there's lots there's hundreds of interviews and, and you know from countries all over the world actually about him so mm. that was quite a painstaking process so it was, a, it was a combination of research listening to all his university lectures making notes and uh so open source stuff and then interviews as I say about 150 people some of whom I spoke to more than once so uh, I did as much as I physically could to to make sure I provided my own material rather mm. than relying on anything else um, and yes it was a case of speaking to people from his early life through to obviously more recent in, in politics but actually the, the best people were always the ones who I think when I first uh, got commissioned I thought well I have to speak to so and so because they hate Burko and I have to speak to so and so because they love him because that's what I need to do but actually they were not particularly great sources because they were so kind of not partial you know they they were they were so kind of biased one way or the other and so you don't get the kind of rounded view that the people who found themselves somewhere in the middle actually did so yeah a combination of research and interviews um, helped me sort of get get over the line. What's like? What's the general portrait of the man that's emerged from real biography? Do you have, like what kind of person is he? Uh, a mercurial one. Um, I, I would absolutely say that I've I've written the book as fairly as I possibly can and as balanced as I can. But I do feel that once you've read it, the overall perspective will lean one way, and I'll leave it to you to, to guess which one it is. Mm. Um, but that is not done on a whim. I think there will be chapters and incidents and coming together and accusations that make it difficult to conclude otherwise. Mm. However, he's, the reason he's so fascinating is because one day when you think you've got him worked out, you then find out another aspect of his, of his personality. Mm-hmm. And then you get thrown the other way. And it's only, it was only really in the last month or so, I'd say, that I felt like I cracked the code and actually feel like I, I understand and know him. He's a very, very complex man mm. with a very, very complex background and a challenging upbringing that does inform much of what he sort of became. But he's undoubtedly incredibly talented, eccentric, forceful, all these things, whilst also having a side to him, which has been reported, which was certainly less impressive, favourable and likeable, I'd say. I think he's probably one of the only politicians I know that's gotten more liberal as he's gotten older yes. rather than the other way around. Yeah, which is an interesting journey and there's, uh, you know, there are lots of theories about that. Mm. Um, you know, there's a theory that he was a Thatcherite when Margaret Thatcher was in power. He became a centrist when New Labour were dominant. Um, these sorts of things. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think people can be very cynical about it. I don't doubt, actually, that he believes in these much in many of these liberal 
values that he does espouse. The thing is, when he adopts something, he then goes for it so hard <laughs> that he alienates people. Yeah, um, yeah. And acts, you know, more liberal than the most liberal people you can imagine and kind of upsets them in the process. Have you read his autobiography? So I deliberately, I've read extracts and I've had to read some extracts. Mm. Uh, but what I didn't want to do, because it would have been very easy for me to read his autobiography and then strip out various bits of mine sure. or even base it on his in terms of some of the earlier stuff. My, but what I wanted to, to convey was that this book is my effort at writing the story of John Burko without any sort of additional help from him or anything like that. So I've made a, a quite a, a point of not reading it. Mm. I've had to read certain extracts for specific reasons um, related to... Because there was a fallout from the book, right? So I had to get my head around what the fallout was and what that was all about. But yeah, uh, it might sound strange, but I just decided I didn't want to read it and then think, oh crap, I've got to change that or I, need to, I should put that in. I'd rather not. This is my effort. Mm. I'm proud of it. I'm happy with it. And this is, this is my version. It's quite interesting, actually, because he's been like the, the his autobiography has been criticised for kind of obscuring certain things and kind of like not owning up fully to other things that he's done. So it'd be interesting to read them both side by side and see where the narratives diverge. Yeah, I think to, to be perfectly candid, his book and the way it was received did prompt a few people to speak to me who otherwise had planned not to. Mm, okay. uh, so in that regard, um, it's worked out well for me. Mm. Um, which sounds a cynical thing to say but you know I, I feel like I've things have come to light that help me understand who he is and what was happening and what was taking place it's like the new and refined biography of John Burke okay? yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so overall then do you think that he was a good speaker um so I think he undoubtedly did some admirable things which will endure even though some people have pushed back against the urgent questions and how profligate he could be with them, I think that is a reform that, even if his successor doesn't necessarily use to the same extent that he did, I think that will endure. Mm. And he was excellent at making sure that backbenchers were heard, that the government was held to account, and that the House of Commons became actually a focal point again. Mm. It was where news broke, you know, you'd see, regularly see, you know, the, the broadcasters cut to a live footage of, of the House of Commons. That was pretty much, you know, never happened before so for that fantastic progressive values yeah you know people will champion stuff like the nursery that he implemented that's that's a very welcome reform it had resistance at the time but it was certainly something that you know needed to happen within commons uh the education center outreach stuff he did undoubtedly he got more people interested in politics he was a, you know kind of a global figure really yeah he was. so for all that he should be commended but there's always a but he was you know he was a great performing speaker capable of achieving great things but he often did it in very aggressive and uncompromising ways and I think he felt he had carte blanche to as a reformer to behave in a way that he did because he for him reform was totemic and anything that came in between that was a blockage mm. and the best politicians realized that to achieve change or change the status quo you do need to be determined to a certain extent you need to be ruthless but you don't need to treat people like crap and too often he fell, his behaviour fell well short of the mark. And there is, in the book, you will see that documented across many chapters at different instances. Mm. And he can kick and scream and say, you know, he calls people snobs and bigots and all this for who accuse him of bullying and what have you. The fact is, just because you want to reform something doesn't mean you can do some of the things that he did and treat people the way that he did. Do you think anything is going to come of these bullying allegations? Well, that's a difficult one to say. Um, yes, I would imagine that 
it's, diff- it's difficult to say affirmatively because mm. I don't know. So mm. I, generally, I don't actually know. I haven't. I don't have any sources on the investigation side. I've kind of left that really because that was that will be something that that comes out in the wash after the book comes out. Sure. Uh, understanding what I understand, I would not be surprised if they, you know, find him. Found that he was, you know, guilty is not the right word, but you know that he had bullied people. Yeah. Mm, sure. Post Burko, how do you think? Parliament's going to change now that he's gone because he was pretty. He was a, a titan figure almost, wasn't he, in the House of Commons? Yes. Well, I think I think there needs to be some um, introspection going on, and I hope that the book will kind of provoke that. I think people need to think a little bit about what they sanctioned, what they were willing to put up with, for the sake of progressive policies and progressive outlook. Um, and I think that if the independent bullying investigation does rule that he was a bully people can't just you know swipe that under the carpet there needs to be a period in which they talk about it and they learn from it um i mean his successor has definitely signaled that he's uh moving away from the sort of antics and behavior of his predecessor he's Mm. he's announced that if he goes against the advice of the clerks the advice of the clerks will be published and that was a direct sort of swipe at Burko, even though it, you know it was a, perhaps something that might have needed to happen, although I know some clerks are unsure about it. But as I say, I, I think as this all comes out, a lot of people are going to have a lot of questions to answer. Firstly, the ones who defended him and turned a blind eye, and also to his accusers who would appropriate anything negative and actually undermined any sense of justice being done. Mm. The ones who just hated him, who just had a personal vendetta and would seize on any kind of bullying claim or anything like that to try and oust him. They did as much damage as good actually in terms of your book what's one thing that you hope people will take away from reading it that's a very good question um <laughs> well firstly that i i treated everything in a balanced way hopefully mm-hmm. i want people to, to to think that i think what i want them to take away is what i just said and what we're willing to accept and i think what i fear and it's not just with john burke i think in general is that as time progresses and the memories and the sort of fade of this particular period of time things will get whitewashed out of history and I think what I want people to take away is that no you shouldn't we shouldn't have to put up with poor behavior to get reforms mm. I think I, I want people to, to think about how we actually kind of approach that that whole the psychology behind that I don't think it is right you can't mm. just say oh well you know he's a great man but he was flawed and I think you know you can't one doesn't trump the other as a Labour MP famously said um with regards to John Burko, you know, if if that is what you if that is what people say and they sanction, then uh, I think we need to have a long, hard look at ourselves, really. Do you think he's changed the role of the speaker for good? Um, I think he's it, 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 it completely about like Lindsay Hoyle is not following in his footsteps. He's not being outspoken. He's clearly just, you know, he's going to be seen but not heard. There could be a John Burko mark too. It would, you know, he could ironically change the the role of the speaker if they tighten the rules around the speakership, and that would be changing the role for. For the negative, I think he would have enacted some change in terms of urgent questions and all this kind of thing. So that's you know a good thing. As for changing the role of speaker, someone growing up watching John Burke might think, yeah, I want to crack at that. So in that regard, you might find more people who are willing to speak out and want more of the limelight. But um, as a, you know, it's a cop out, but time will tell, really. He's set a precedent for it at least, isn't he? Yeah. Now that Burko is retired, do you have any thoughts on what he's going to be doing going forward? Do you think he's going to be... I mean, there's been speculation that he'll get a peerage. Do you think that's going to happen? So if if his, uh, if his bullying complaints are upheld, mm. uh, he, I would be very, very surprised if he gets a peerage. 
and that would be a bit of a crushing blow really for him because um, he's long railed against the establishment and the establishment has often not accepted him he got rejected I think for membership of the um, of All England Tennis Club um, he might get rejected from the House of Lords you know it's quite a sort of sad sad thing really I think he wants to carry on writing I've heard he wants to keep going and uh, making TV appearances he's done Sky News and some foreign um, programmes as well but he's only 56 so he's still got quite a lot of energy and years left in him the problem is that this past couple of months have been very damaging for him mm. uh, I dare say you know that might continue um, so in terms of what options are available to him that are tangential to politics I'm not sure because I think some doors might close on him if these bullying allegations are upheld that would be a sad ending for some, some yeah but you know but, but also you know on the one hand sad ending but also on another hand if he is found then a just ending yeah. would be how I would say because he did serve for 10 years more than 10 years um, so you know his career was not came and left on his own accord um, but if these things are upheld then that's just that's just justice being served I think sure and then for you then what's uh, next in the pipeline have you got another book coming up are you just knuckling down and I'm knuckling down for a bit I think I'm going to go lie in a dark room for about two months and try and not dream about John Burko um, yeah, which would be nice because he's always in my dreams um, I definitely want to uh, carry on book writing it's been the most enjoyable rewarding experience I've had professionally or probably personally it's been so just great so I'm massively grateful to uh, bite back for that and I would definitely love to to write another book pretty soon but I think I'm going to just chill out for a little bit for a holiday yeah what was your favorite part of the writing process um I just had some days where the best part of the, the writing process I knew when I worked out what my chapters were there were some days when I was excited to write and there were some chapters that I was like I cannot wait to turn this around just because creatively I had all this material and all this kind of color of things that were going on and I'd I would just wake up at five, six in the morning and think, right, I'm just going to turn on the computer, I'm just going to go for it, because I just couldn't wait to do it, because it was a joy. Other days I'd be looking at the screen and you know, nearly breaking down in tears because I didn't know what the hell to do. So that was great, but the other enjoyable experience, like some days, there was one day where I had four interviews and they were all fantastic, and they were all with interesting people who I got to meet and spend time with. And I remember getting to the end of the day and I covered all different parts of his life and just thinking, that was just, that was just totally awesome. You know, that was... I had the freedom to go out and do it, meet people, learn and get some fantastic stories or colour or whatever it might have been and just have to pinch myself and think, well, I'm actually, you know, getting paid to do this. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for making it to the end of another Bite Back podcast. Before you go, why not subscribe to the podcast and order, order Seb's book on bitebackpublishing.com for the pun, if nothing else. Thanks for listening and see you next week.